Hallelujah. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Verse 24. You there? Say, I'm there. All right. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Um, I'm going to just prophesy to you for a little bit. Is that all right? There's a move of God in the earth. I, I, I know you realize that. But greater still, there's a move of God uh, in this house in particular that we need to um, uh, continue to embrace. And uh, we are finding ourselves praying all the time, Lord, help us to navigate uh, what you're doing right now appropriately. You understand when you go, uh, like, you know, Julia referred to Abraham. When, when Abraham was called out, he was called to go to a place that he did not know, that he'd never been, and he didn't have a map. Right. You understand? The Lord said, I want you to get your wife, I want you to get your stuff, I want you to gather your family together, and I want you to go into the land that I will show you, pack up, and move out. And they became nomadic. They, they, they lived in tents and moved about in the earth. And God kept pointing them to where he wanted them to go. Well, the picture there is that they were going where they'd never gone before, and they didn't have a map to tell them in advance where they were to go. And they didn't have any way to know what they would face on the journey. And it's a picture of walking with God. We are, as a church, going in directions that we've never gone before. We're setting our foot in places that we've never set it before. We're doing things in God that we've never done before. We're seeing things happen and things accomplished at a level and in greater measure than we've ever seen before. And we don't have a map. We have a, a word. That's how you go. You go in a word. You don't go with a map. It's wonderful to go places that folks have gone before. I sat down at the computer just the other day. We're, we're getting ready to take a little trip uh, into Northern California and then on up into Oregon. And I just sat down and typed in destinations and printed out a map. I don't have to think about what direction we're going. I don't have to, all I have to do is point the car in the right direction and make sure I don't run over something. But it's wonderful to go down a road where someone else has prepared the way. But it's an entirely different experience when God says, I want you to go in this direction and I'm sending you there and, I want, and, I, and I'm going to just point it out to you as you go. That's how you walk with God. So Jesus said, I want, what I want to to get to in all of this is that Jesus said to, to his disciples, and if you read in the other gospel, it explains that his disciples were not the only ones there that heard this, his disciples and the, and the crowd that had gathered. He said, if any man will come after me, 
And that's what I want us to fo focus on. Because there is a difference between coming to Jesus and coming after him. A lot of people on the earth come to Jesus for a lot of different reasons. Jesus said, whosoever will may come. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come, just come. Because the first step to coming after is to come. You can't come after until you come. You can't follow after him until you get to him. And so our great assignment in the earth, the first assignment, you know, is, is constantly helping folks get to him. Come, just come. Experience his presence. Come and experience him face to face. Come and know what it feels like to have him invested in your life a little bit. Come and feel the presence of the Lord and know uh, the voice of God. Just come. But then there's a decision that has to be made when Jesus says, uh, if any man will come after me. There's a decision to be made to come after him. It's not enough in my life. Maybe it's enough in yours, I don't know. I know we're all different places. That, there's no condemnation, and I'm not condemning. Please don't misunderstand me. There's no condemnation in wherever you find yourself on, on the spectrum of relationship with Jesus. It's just that his voice is constantly saying, come closer. And I don't want you to miss the fact that he is saying, come closer. So when there's a move of God in the earth that brings fresh perspective and fresh anointing and, and, and fresh experience, and when there's a move of God in the earth that brings increase of his presence the way that we're experiencing it in this house any day, I don't know, I just keep feeling like uh, Linda spoke on Wednesday, uh, on Wednesday night, and, and she was just kind of sharing out of some of the, the places that God had walked her through and some of the... Uh, uh, inner healing things that, that, that she's walked through that she was saying that this is how we need to be different in God we need to let him take care of these things and when she was doing that she alluded to a prophetic word that came over the city of Fresno many many years ago and we embraced that prophetic word that God said he was creating a healing center in Fresno spirit and we understood that God was speaking to us we don't know how many other houses in town took that and said, hey, that's for us too. But we know that God was speaking to us. And we took it seriously and we began to press into that in prayer. And we began to take advantage of the opportunity to lay hands on the sick and do what God called us to do. And now we see things like folks like Geraldo coming up here and going, God, touch me. Nobody, nobody else touched me. Nobody even laid hands on me. God just did it. Like we saw this morning. And, and various other things, even in greater measure than that. But when you see God moving, we sense the responsibility to, to say to the Lord, I can sense that you are moving, and I can sense that you're doing something different in the earth than, than, than has ever happened in my generation. I can sense that there is a spirit of God. There's a wind that's blowing in this city. There's a wind that's blowing in this house. There's a wind of the desire of God that's moving across, uh, across the, 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 uh, the landscape of our lives. And God, we want to respond to that appropriately. And we want to say yes to that, but we don't even know how, how that looks. Jesus explains to his listeners at this point in time, if any man will come after me. This is where you find, Lord help me communicate this appropriately. This is where you find in, in scripture where 
the Lord, to, in challenging you to come closer, there, there comes a requirement of your participation in it. See, the only thing that's required to receive Jesus and forgiveness of sin is come to the cross and say, Lord, you did it, I receive it. Hallelujah, would you, would you do that for me, to forgive me my sin? And all the condemnation goes, and, and now there's an open channel of communication between, between that individual and God. But then, there's that continual cry, come closer, come closer, come closer. And then there's that expression, come and follow me. When, when Jesus called the disciples to him, this is a picture I want us to take because uh, I, I actually, I think I alluded to this last week uh, in our closing uh, message on uh, the fear of the Lord. I left those up there, those banners, just so you could soak them in for a while. Um, but when Jesus said to the disciples, he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. Okay, that's more than come. You got it? Follow, follow me is, is, is another step there. Come and hang out with me. You know, there's, a, there's an invitation for fellowship that might be come and meet me at Starbucks. And then it's a whole other level of fellowship when you say, come hang out at my house for the day. That's a whole different level of fellowship, right? Okay, so Jesus is inviting them to a different level of commitment and a different level of fellowship when he said, come and follow me and I will make you what I'm calling you to be. So what happened was, one of them was, uh, Luke was a physician, was it? Luke was a physician and, and Matthew, I believe, was a tax collector. One of my favorite guys, I love Matthew because... <laughs> Because I'm a Matthew. I, there's a lot about Matthew and I that are in common because you know, we have a lot of common things there because I closed a few businesses in my day uh, doing the work of Matthew. And uh, anyway, Lord help my mind not to go there. <laughs> Another day. So when Jesus said, come and follow me and I'll make you, what happened was, and I, and I, I shared this, I'm going to share it again, I want you to hear this again, that they, they were identified, especially in that culture, by what they did. If you were born to uh, the, the son of a fisherman, you knew when you grew up, you were going to be a fisherman. They didn't send you off to lawyer school if daddy was a fisherman. You inherited boats. You inherited uh, an assignment to go fishing. And you grew up, new, you, you grew up by the time you were an older child, you were already an expert fisherman. And that's how you were going to spend your life. And so people were absolutely identified by what they did. Much in our culture, when you meet somebody and they introduce themselves to you, one of the first things they ask you is, what do you do? Because there's an identity. There, and let's face it, there's, it's true. There's a greater understanding of that individual the moment you know what they do. You have some sense of their schedule. You have some, some sense of how they spend their days. You have some sense of what they had to do to get an education or, or to get some understanding to do what they learned to do. You, you have some sense immediately of the background of their life because you understand what they do. Because their identity is somewhat wrapped up in what they do. 
Well, when Jesus came to them and he said, come and follow me, he wasn't just asking them to leave their nets. He was asking them to leave their identity. What does a guy who's raising a child to be a fisherman hope to accomplish in that child as a fisherman if he leaves his nets and never trains that child to fish? He's putting his entire family's future at risk if God doesn't come through. You follow that? If he's not at home training his offspring to take the family business, he's putting the future of his entire family at risk to go walk with Jesus. And Jesus said to those men, come and follow me and I will make you in their case, fishers of men. Come and follow me, and I'll make you what you need to be. Well, there had to be a decision on their part to leave who they were and to leave everything that they knew and to put their trust completely in the master for the good of their own house and for their financial future and for their uh, economic stability and for everything. He didn't say, take two years, go get all your bills paid off, go get all of your responsibilities taken care of and then come and follow me. He said, hang it up now and come and follow me. And so they knew what it meant to lay down their life and to walk with Jesus. They knew what it meant to put everything at risk. I was telling Laura on the way to church, I'm not a good evangelist. I'm not called to be an evangelist. I recognize that that's not my call. Some of y'all here are called to be evangelists, and you're very good at it, and you know how to tell people to come to Jesus because he loves them. I only know how to tell them, come to Jesus. He will mess up your life. <laughs> that's the kind of evangelist that I am. Don't come to Jesus half-hearted. If you're going to come half-hearted, just don't come. I'm just kind of that way. And it's really not conducive to bringing people to Jesus. <laughs> but nevertheless, there is an anointing in it because you understand, if you're going to come to Jesus, come all the way. Come willing to pour your life out. Come and follow him. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Let him hang it all up. I had some folks of not great, deep faith in my early days of life when I was trying to navigate some of the hardest period of life. It's, it's from the time you leave high school and you go through those early days of college and you're trying to figure your way out and figure out what you're supposed to do with your life. And I knew that I was called as a, as a pastor. I did know that. I knew that very young. But there's some preparation that needs to come and some maturing that needs to come before you lead the people of God. What do you do in the meantime? What do you do in the meantime? You know, and that's kind of where I was at. I was struggling with what do I do? And my dad was one of those guys who said, well, bless God, if he called you to pastor, get out there in the church and cut your teeth, pastor. Do it. Just go do it. So he had popped me right into, you know, here, sink or swim. 
That was, that was his faith. He's a good, great man of faith. But there were some other folks who was like, well, I know that God's calling you into ministry, but what's your plan B? Plan B? Plan B? All of a sudden, that was like sandpaper in my spirit. These guys that were fishermen or that left their doctor's assignment or their tax collecting, that, there was no plan B there. And they found out in the season of time through uh, the, 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 the life of Christ and his giving of his life that they, there was nothing to go back to. They tried it. Read it. They tried it. But all of a sudden, what they would go back to just wasn't satisfying. And so I didn't make a plan B. So I, was out, I'm out, I am out on a limb with God. If this thing don't work, plan B has to work. When God calls you to walk with him, he's not calling you to plan B. And he's not, he, there, there's no plan B in Jesus. It's all or nothing. Now there's that, the, he's never failed me. He's never failed to take care of me. He's never failed to meet my need. He's never failed to open the appropriate doors, even in that, in that window of that period of time whenever, uh, whenever I was waiting on the Lord for, for all things to be fulfilled in my life and for the fullness of time to come and for all those things that have been prophesied to unfold and, and, and ministry to be expressed in my life. Every step of the way, he took care of me, including giving me a sign as a tax collector. Boy, that was fun. I learned so much about authority in that job. That prepared me. They couldn't give you that. They can't give you that at Bible college. You know what? That, that, uh, the, the government calls that a commission. When they put that little commission in your hand and they say, here, you go, and you tell folks you want to see their books and their records and you, you um, uh, request copies of their uh, information from their bank and you go into their businesses and you, you sit down with them and you tell them what you're there to do, you flash that little commission up in there. You put that badge in their face. Say, I'm here on behalf of the federal government. Well, now I just have this thing. When I walk into enemy territory, and I pick up my, I, I, I start, I'm here in the name of God. Yeah. I'm telling you, the, the, the authority of heaven is far greater than the authority of the IRS. I feel much more secure in my authority now than I ever did. In fact, there were places as an IRS agent that I wouldn't go, but there are, there are not places in God that if he tells me to go, that I won't go. If he sends me, I'll go there. There's no fear to go where he sends. But Jesus said, if you, if you come after me, and the, the Spirit of the Lord wants you to understand the difference, uh, what's happening in this house, uh, the difference between coming to him and coming after him. Coming to him, coming to him to repent. So a lot of people come to Jesus to, to have their need met. A lot of people come to him 
for something. They come to him and they say, oh, Jesus, I'm in trouble. Would you help me sort this out? And he's so gracious and he comes uh, and he meets us in that moment and he helps us sort it out. And he gets our life all arranged. And just as the pressure gets off, uh, most individuals in those moments forget who got them out of it. If they've only come to him. And so you see them kind of fade away in their relationship with the Lord and they just go distant on God and, and, and they go back and they begin to uh, re, uh, redo again the things that got them in the tangled web that they were in when they came to him. And they begin to go back to old practices that produce old results that, that bear old fruit. And they wake up one day and they're like, how did I get here? And, and hopefully, they'll come to him again. Some folks just give up. They say, well, this must be how it is. And they stay in that circumstance. But I want to challenge you this morning. That God is doing something in, in this place and in this city, not just in this place. Please don't misunderstand me. God is doing something in this city. There is a word from the Lord about a move of God that is coming upon the West Coast, coming upon the state of California, that will literally flow across this nation and change this nation. We are part of that move of God. We are participating in that move of God. It has already begun. You can already see the signs of his, uh, of his moving in the earth. He said, I'm coming for a church, a bride that is prepared. I'm coming for a church that is prepared for my appearing and he is preparing us for his appearing and there is great revival in the earth if you will receive it. There's also great rebellion, great falling away, great, there's a great press against the things of God in the earth. How many understand that? If y'all are sitting around watching the news, you're hearing it every day. I was uh, watching this morning briefly, uh, um, and they were discussing the bill that's before uh, coming up before the governor, and he'll have 12 days to respond to it uh, to create uh, a situation in our public schools where that uh, uh, it, it was brought to him by a transgendered individual that they that that this guy that used to be a girl can use the the guys' bathrooms and be on the guys' sports teams and, and all of this stuff, and that's coming up before our governor now. If you don't think there's a push against the things of God in the earth, you, you need to look again. Don't fear it. Don't fear it. But look. Jesus said to his disciples, you can see the times and the seasons. You're not blind to the time and the season that you live in. And, and, and uh, so we're, we're fully aware of the season that we live in because we can see the fruit that's being born in the earth. You know what the Bible says? Oh, Kura Sakronda Kisi. Listen to this. This is one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Please don't limit your, um, your definition of that grace to just the forgiveness aspect of grace. Grace 
that abounds is the strength for believers to walk in and live in and move through this culture as kingdom men and women of God. Grace is strength for the journey. Grace is wisdom from God to walk through this and be in this world but not of it. So where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So you don't have to get all freaked out when people that aren't believers live like the devil. It's who they're they're following. So when the fruit of their life produces that, it it just gives you an assignment in prayer. You know, you will absolutely fall in love with people that you would never even cross the street to talk to if you'd just pray for them. I've had some scoundrels, and Jesus made me pray for them, and I had to fall in love with them. What a mess. (laughs) To start loving somebody you didn't like. But when you go to praying for them, you get the heart of God about it. And that's part of coming after Jesus. You start getting his character and his strength in your life. And you start seeing people the way he sees them. He told the woman that was caught in adultery, I didn't come here to condemn you. And all those religious leaders will go, come on, let's get together and have a rock-throwing party. Some folks in the church still doing that today. Don't you dare pick up your rocks and go to throwing them at people that aren't living for God because they don't know him. So you go to prayer and you begin to pray for them and you begin to ask God to to break off of their their spiritual sight, the blindness that is there, and to break off of their heart, the, the hardness of their heart, and to replace that stony heart with a heart of flesh so they can begin to feel the presence of the Lord and sense the love of the Father and the call of Jesus to them. Because if you throw rocks, somebody's going to throw one at you. Yeah, they do. So he didn't call us to, when, when he calls to come after him, he calls to raise a standard and speak the truth. And you will do that, and it will become very uncomfortable, and you will not be very popular when you speak the truth. And you will be... be Somebody's going to look at you when you speak the truth and they're going to say, how dare you judge me? How dare you condemn me? Well, I'm not judging you and I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying what God said. There's a difference between saying what God said and having your own opinion about what somebody's doing or not doing. I don't know why I'm down this road, but I just hear the Holy Spirit. This is how, this is how we embrace what God is doing in the earth. You're going to have to love some people you didn't think you could. Amen. Amen. Mm. That's part of denying yourself. Lord, would you help us to lay down some of our own opinions and, and not have one until we have yours? Well, which God doesn't have opinions. It's another message for another day. God doesn't move in the, in the realm of opinion. 
If, God, if you ask God his opinion about something, he'll give you an instruction, not an opinion. An opinion, if you go and ask Benjamin his opinion, if he tells you his opinion and you agree with him, then you walk in his opinion. But if you disagree with him, then you have a differing opinion. You go to God and you ask his opinion about something and he'll tell you his instruction regarding it. And then you have the decision of whether or not you're going to obey or disobey. He doesn't move in opinion. He doesn't have opinions. If God had an opinion, he could be wrong. That's just free. Jesus said, if any man will come after me. And so what we have determined is that we are coming after him. We aren't here to just come to Jesus. We are here to come after him. And in coming after him, that means that we get to deny ourselves. I'm going to give you a good example. This is a really great example right here sitting in front of us today. Can I pick on you all again? I seem to be picking on you today. Benjamin and Pam going to Estonia, and I, I told you that the Lord blessed us and we we're able to, to get their tickets and cover that cost. I have a, a, a desire in my heart that every time they travel, if we could do that, we would do that. But they have a determination in their heart that if they have to write the check, if God says go, they're going anyway. That's, self, that's denying yourself. It's denying yourself. They have responsibilities here and things here that when they come back after being gone uh, on, on Pam's desk at work, it just waits for her. So she comes back to a flurry of activity uh, and deadlines that must be taken care of yesterday to go and do the work of the Lord. She's not complaining about it. But she's denying herself so that she can go and do what God's called her to do. There comes some denying of ourself in the process. If, if you want to walk with Jesus, there, there comes some denying of yourself. And the, the, the doctrine, the popular doctrine of our day does not say that. Come to Jesus, receive Jesus, get forgiveness of your sin, and go on and you're safe from the fire. Come and deny yourself a little bit. Come and say yes to him. I'm telling you, God has a plan for your life. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but I'm prophesying to somebody. God has a plan for your life that, is, that will just blow your mind with the good things that he wants to do in and through you and for you if you would get 100% submitted to him and quit pushing against him whenever he takes the fun out of it. There were some times in my life that I had to do some things I didn't want to do and there were plenty of times in my life in the development of the gifts of God in me that I didn't get to do some things that I would have really enjoyed for the moment. And I'm not even talking about bad stuff. I'm not talking about sin stuff. I'm just talking about stuff that would have been fun to go and do. My parents had the gall to tell me and I wanted to be a Boy Scout that met on Wednesday nights. You don't get to do that because we go to the house of God on Wednesday night. Well, was the Boy Scout a sin? No, not at all. 
But Wednesday nights were developmental in the walk with God that He was preparing me for in my future. So I didn't get to do some fun stuff that I might like to have done. And I got to sit through some church services that were downright boring, to be honest with you. I don't know how people who preach the gospel can make it boring. But some of them can do it. There was a guy, and some of you would know him if I said his name, so I won't. He used to attend church here, and he had a heart for a nation, and we would send him to the nation, and he would go. And I told Bishop Halverson, why do you let that man talk when he comes back? He is boring. And I said, I will support him monthly if he will move there. And I said, please, make a slideshow. Because when he talks, it's boring. I don't know how anybody makes the good news of Jesus Christ boring, but some of them do. And God got it done anyway. It was just really interesting how God accomplished. Maybe he wasn't boring when he went there, but he was sure boring here. Where was I? Oh, Jesus. That's on the podcast. Missionaries all over the world are hearing that. There'll be some, there, there'll be some missionaries that have asked to come here, and I'll tell them no, and they'll think that's why, because they heard the podcast. And it might not be anything more than it doesn't work with our schedule at the time. Now I need the anointing to finish this up. I'm not sure. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now listen to this. This this little passage, for whosoever would save his life will lose it. If your priority in the earth is this 50, 60, 70 years, 80 years that you have, if God blesses you and you live that long, if your priority is to make this the best time and the most fulfilling time, and and you should. God God does not want you to not have an abundant life. I have a great life. I couldn't have planned it. I I am not smart enough to figure out and accomplish what God has accomplished in my life. Besides that, if God would have told me when I was 20 years old, and I have three of my adopted children sitting right there, and they're they're hearing this. If God would have told me when I was 20 years old that you're going to adopt five children, I would have said, oh, no. I'm going to raise mine and retire. I wouldn't trade the way God laid out my life for anything. He plans better than I do. But he said, if your priority is to save your life, you'll lose it. Because we're not smart enough 
to save it, and you, by the way, aren't taking it with you. So I'm invested in the next generation. And if I die with nothing, I can't take it with me anyway. But if I die with nothing, I'll leave nine children serving Jesus. Preaching the gospel, going to the nations, living for God, discipling people who do not know, who, who do not know how to walk with God, embracing the unlovely, and crying out for righteousness in the earth. He said, whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. The way that we embrace this move of God that has come into the earth is to position ourselves to be the kind of people that are willing to lose our life for his sake. That's not being dead. That's being a living sacrifice. That's saying to him, whatever assignment you have for me, I'm all in. We say to the Lord as a church, when, when the elders are together and we pray and, and when we have prayer meetings together and when we, when we dream and we plan in the presence of the Lord, it's all about what do you want, God? What do you want to see? How do you want this thing to unfold? Because we have a word from God that says, whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Let's get comfortable with the Holy Spirit being able to say to us, you see that time that you're spending doing some of those non-essential things? Would you give that time to me? You see that, that the, the way that you are, the direction that you're going there in that area of your life, I want you to submit that to me. Um, there's some folks that are, I don't know if they're in this house, uh, some folks just in the relationship that you're thinking about uh, marrying or, 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 boy, that better be a God decision. And if you'll go to the Lord, he'll talk to you. And he'll tell you. And if you've got your ear tuned to hear him and you're willing to wait on him, you will save yourself from a whole lot of complication. Now, I'm going to tell you what, singleness is a whole lot better than being married to the wrong person. Loneliness is better than being married to the wrong person. Isolation is better than being married to the wrong person. Isolation and poverty is being better than, is better than being married to the wrong person. But I do know when I, I remember when, when I met Laura, I'll just give you this testimony. I've gone over time today, and you'll forgive me. Uh, but when I met Laura, and I began to pray about her, I really kind of knew the moment I met her. But I think it was about 10 days after I met her that the Lord said, That's your wife. You take her under your covering. She is yours. And I'm giving you to each other for my purposes and kingdom. And I asked that girl 23 days after I went out with her the first time if she would marry me. And she said yes. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? God is good. 
He'll plan your way if you will let him. And I assure you, even if what he assigns in your life, even if uh, what he calls and gives you and, 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 and sends you to do is something you never dreamed of or is in and of itself a, a difficult thing, the outcome is far greater than anything you can work up in your own life. I don't care if you think you can die a millionaire. Try to take that with you. But what God has planned in this house and what he has planned for you and what he wants to do in your life is far greater than what you have ever dreamed. If any man will come after me. So I just want our declaration to be, Lord, we come after you. Lord, we're not coming to you. We're not, we're not stopping there. So many people come to you and, and we're not just coming to you. We are coming after you with all of our might. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Father, we praise you. We worship you. We exalt you for what you're doing. We thank you for that word that we have received that, that's been instruction from you and encouragement from you. We come after you. And Lord, if there's anyone in this house who is hesitant to take that next step in their relationship with you. They've come to you, but Lord, they're not quite sure about coming after you. Would you build the trust in them to be able to say, yes, I'll come after you.